0: 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, the title of the message this morning is Handling the Divine, Handling the Divine, 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'll not read the, the whole chapter there, just where we were looking at, I'm just going to zoom in if I could on a couple of verses, as verse 10 and verse 11. Let's just pray for the Lord's help this morning, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Lord, we just come and we bow in your presence and we ask for your help this morning. Lord, give us ears that can hear. Lord, as we settle our hearts in a very hectic and busy world, Lord, give us ears that can hear. Unstop our ears. And speak to us this morning and glorify your name. Hide us behind the cross. Anoint us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said it, Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. And this is Hannah, and she was in bitterness of soul. She prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. I want to speak about vows just as an introduction to this vows made in times of trouble, vows made, vows made in times of trouble, Hannah's in great trouble, she's in great peril, she's afflicted, she's under great attack from her enemy, she's mocked, She's great reproach, she's coming daily and yearly to the Lord for an answer, and in this prayer, you know, I, I was looking just to try and see if there was some type of artist's image of Hannah. And when I looked on, on online, most of them gave her sitting with her hands just like this in a very nice pose, just looking to the Lord. I don't believe it was like that at all. I believe Hannah had thrown herself on the altar of God. I believe it was desperate. I believe it was a cry. She's in bitterness of soul. I believe from the very depth of her being, she needs an intervention. She needs a breakthrough. I believe that she's come to a place where she's so desperate. And in that desperation, she cries out from the very innermost part of her being, O Lord of hosts, Lord, if you will look on the affliction of your handmaid, Lord, would you remember me? Don't forget me, Lord. Wilt I... Give unto your handmaid a man-child. And if you give me, if you give me what I'm crying out for, then Lord, here's your vow, if you answer me, then Lord, I'll give him unto you. And all the days of his life, he's going to serve you. It's a solemn vow in the midst of great trouble, in the midst of of a great trial of our life, like so many of us, that often we've come to even I can remember back before I was saved, there was times when you got into great trouble and you say, Lord, if you if you get me out of this, then I'm gonna serve you. Maybe, maybe you didn't cry like that, but I know many times it did. And even as believers, we get ourselves into a tight place or a difficult place, or we're finding ourselves in a real a real place of great need, and we cry out to the Lord, Lord, if you answer, I promise you, Lord, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll give you everything. That prayer's been made many times, hasn't it? A vow or a solemn promise, an oath, a pledge, a bond, a commitment, a profession, an affirmation, a guarantee, Lord, whatever happens here, but Lord, I promise you, if you get me out of this, I'll give you my word, Lord. I am going to serve you. In Deuteronomy 23, 21, it says this, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. In Ecclesiastes 5 and 4 it says, When thou fastest a vow unto the Lord, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou should vow and not pay. How often, how often in great times of peril and strife, in the hour of desperation and need for an answer we have called out to God and we have said, Lord, if you would do this for me, if you would intervene for me, Lord, I promise you, I will serve you. Lord, if you get me out of this mess, Lord, the rest of my days, whatever it takes, no matter what anyone else says, you've got my life. Lord, if you intervene, if you heal me, Lord, I promise you, I'll give you all. Lord, in my great time of great need, if you answer me, if you answer my cry, I pro- Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere. Lord, if you just intervene, I'm so desperate for an answer. We make vows. How many broken vows are there in the pews of churches and across this province this morning lying in the scrap heap? How many people are sitting at home this morning on a Sunday morning having a cup of coffee and maybe years ago, God has intervened in their family miraculously. Maybe healed a loved one. And in that time, they were saying, Lord, if you do this, i And this morning, friends, they're far from God. One thing you can be assured of today, saints of God, that there might be many broken promises and vows on our part, mankind, but you will never find anywhere, anytime, where God has broken His promise. Never. In Titus 1, if you turn to him, and verse 1, we are coming to a God who's faithful and His Word is true. And In Titus 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Then verse 2 says this, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie praise the lord god cannot lie it is promised before the world began if you turn over into hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 we're looking at a god who's faithful and his word is true and his promises are yea and amen in christ hebrews 6 and 17 hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 we're in god willing more abundantly to show under the urge of his promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. God cannot lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, it's sure and it's steadfast, and which entereth into within that field, whether the forerunner is gone, has entered for us. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God cannot lie, and it is impossible for God to lie. His word is absolutely true, and He never, ever, 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 Breaks his promise. That should put faith in our hearts. This actually is what faith is. Faith is really someone laying a hold of what God says and being persuaded what God has said. He is also able to do it. This is the whole essence of our new birth. He said if we come to him, if we repent of our sin, if we ask him into our heart and believe that he died and he rose again on the third day and he's ascended up to heaven, that you'll be born again. That's a promise. In Romans 4 and 21, it was Abraham, it says, of being fully persuaded that what he had promised, who's able to do it? God's able to do it. This really is what faith is. I remember Brother Clendenon said once a man challenged him. He was speaking on Jonah and the wheel, and a man challenged him at the door and said, Brother, do you actually believe that a wheel, a wheel swallowed a man? And he said, Brother Clendenon said, I want to tell you, sir, if this book said that the man swallowed the wheel, I'd believe it. That's faith. It's faith in his word. And friends, this morning, we come to a God who is well able, who is well able to perform what he says, but it is faith that is required in these days to trust him with everything. She says, Lord, if you give me this child, this is what she said, this is her prayer, it's recorded in God's holy word. If you give me this child, I'm going to give him to you. Everything of what you give me, Lord, I promise you, I make this vow: If you give me this child, I will give this child to you. You see, friends, this morning, everything of what we have is God's anyway. You know that, don't you? It's all God's. You know that, don't you? Or do you think it's yours? It was my car. It was my house. As my clothes. as my food. I want to tell you something. Everything of what we have this morning is all His. Do you believe that? In James 1 and 17 it says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of life with whom is no variableness, neither is there no shadow of turning with Him. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Psalm 24 and verse 1, in case you're not convinced that everything of what you own and everything of what you have and every penny that you have in the bank account, whether that's a lot or whether it's just about four or five pounds, don't worry about it. It all belongs to him. Isn't that right? You believe that this morning? Your body is not yours. Many people know that. you know your body is not your own? The psalmist says in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's the and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell in it. It all belongs to him. Everything of what you have is his. Everything of what you are is his. The whole essence of salvation is he gave his life for us. And when we give our lives to him, he takes it all. Warts and all. Brokenness, sin, shame, wretched. Still can't understand the way he takes it, sure you can't. But he did, and that's love. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is what it says. If you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says these words, what? 1 Corinthians 6 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Are you saved this morning? And the Holy Ghost is in you. Now the apostle says, Do you not know that your body, everyone's got a body here, right? I hope so, anyway. Every one of us have a body, right? That's that's that thing that you're walking around with. That's the thing that you spend so much time in the mirror looking at. Now, right, Brent. (laughs) You know, and our boys, we've got one wee brush between us. I tell you, friends. Mine takes about three seconds flat. Nurse takes about five minutes. I don't know how it works. But see this body? This body's his. It says, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which, is it, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, praise the Lord. Therefore glorify God in your body, And in your spirit. And then what does it say? Which are God's? This body's His. Now He's given us the ability to make a choice what we're going to do with it. And one day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat, not the great white throne, the bema seat of Christ. And every one of us will give an answer. Every believer in this room will give an answer an account of what we have done with His body that He's given us and how we have glorified the Lord in everything. You know, we have come into this world with nothing. And when you stand around a grave, whether it be mine or anybody else's, as the man says, did he leave much? He left it all. Because into this world, we come with nothing. And let me tell your friend, out of this world. Do you know, I hear they're putting mobile phones in the coffins with those that have passed away. We're going to leave with nothing. But have you glorified God in the body that he's given you? And with the spirit that's within you. Everything of what we have belongs to him. We'll be weighed in. We'll be weighed out. And right down to the very penny, God knows. Isn't that that powerful? Handling the divine. Here's a woman that needs an answer. I I want to tell you, I believe Hannah's a type of the church. I believe she's a type of the church of the day. Could God trust this woman with an answer? It's a strange thing to say. Could God trust her? with an answer on the request that she's making. In the very depths of her heart, as she begins to cry out, God, I need you to intervene. And when you answer what you give me, Lord, I promise you, I'll give it all back to you. I'll not hold it for myself, but everything of you intervene. Lord, I will give it to you. As the church cries out in this day, Lord, we need a revival. Let me ask you this question this morning, friends. Can God trust us with revival? Can God trust us with revival? Could God trust this woman, Hannah, with the divine? Could God see into the depth of her heart and her motive and her agenda and what she was requesting, what she was crying for, that God could intervene in that life and God could give her the birth of a Samuel and when God moved by his great power and give her that child that she says, God, I'll give it to you. Why did David trust the Lord, trust trust David? Why did God trust David with so many of the great victories of the Old Testament? You remember, he takes his shepherd boys out in the field. Nobody knows really anything about him. Samuel, the great prophet who's born through Hannah, he comes along into the town, and they're looking for this king. And he goes into the house of Jesse, and they bring out all the brothers, and they're all great and mighty men, the men that followed Saul. And, and Samuel standing, the great prophet of the Lord, said, Lord, surely this must be the anointed of the Lord. The Lord says, you're looking on the outward, but I don't look on the outward. Why? Because I look on the inward. It's man that looks on the outward. And so the candidate for God was out in the fields. He's fighting the lions and, and the birds. And God brings this man in before Samuel. And he said, this is the anointed of God. What did God see in David? He's seen a heart. That's what he's seen. He's seen a heart that was after God. And God could trust him that if God was going to use him, that David wouldn't take the glory for himself. Well, Lord, we we don't want to take the glory. It's quite different, friends. Let me tell you, it's quite different. When all of Israel are singing, well, Saul has killed his sons, but David, and they're all singing about David. I tell you, friends, what then? They're singing your name. They're singing your praises. They're elevating you. David has killed his 10,000s. It's a different story then. You see, God seen the heart of a shepherd boy and knew that when the great victories came, that David would give the glory to who it belonged to, and that was God alone. He knew in the depth of her heart, God did, that there was a sincerity. You see, this is what she said in our reading today. I want you to pick up on it just right at the end of it. It says, and there shall, in verse 11, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 11, I'll give him unto you, Lord, all the days of his life. And then she said these words. I want you to note this. And there shall no razor, no razor will ever come upon his head. This is so significant this morning. I want to talk about handling the divine. By the grace of God, I just want you to listen. This is an important message. I know God has spoke to me in it and through it. But handling the divine, handling that which is the very presence, the abiding and manifest presence of revival that we're praying for. She said that no razor will come upon his head. What she's saying well, we know that she's referring to that Nazarite and It's found in Numbers chapter 6. If you turn to it, I want to pull just a couple of things from it. Because every revival that there's ever been, it's been a Holy Ghost revival. I'm going to say that again because it sounds as though, well, sure we know that. But it's been, and I'm going to emphasize the first word again, it's been a Holy Ghost revival. Every revival that's ever happened, the manifestation of that revival is there's been a people that has been brought forth that are holy unto the Lord. It seems somewhere that we've lost this. If you mention holiness in the church today, the first thing people will cry is, we're being brought under condemnation. If you mention separation from the world, the first thing that the people cry today is legalism. But yet I want to tell you, friends, God's word has not changed. Numbers chapter 6, he's speaking of this child that will be born. And then this child, Samuel, the last of the judges, the great prophet. Numbers 6 and 1, the Lord speak unto Moses, speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, when neither man or woman shall separate themselves to a vow, a vow of a Nazarite. Separate, separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He'll separate himself from wine and strong drink. A separation. A separation. Let me tell you, friends, there's people in this room, and I am one of them, that if God had not saved me and delivered me from the grip of alcohol, I'd be dead and in in hell itself this morning. That's the truth. And there's others in this room will say the same. When we really want to get serious with God, we really want to live for God. Let me tell you, friends, there's a man that attends here sometimes. I cannot grasp why that in the mercy of God that he still hasn't got saved and the long suffering of God and his life continually to plead with him but if I take you with me this morning and Brent knows him very well and all of us know him fairly well for 25 to 30 years he's been an alcoholic sometimes I've gone into that little little flat there the walls are thick with nicotine It's as dark as night. The blinds are never open. He's been binging for days. He's lying on the settee. I'll just be honest. He's lying in his own urine. It's an absolute mess, the whole thing. There's cigarette butts lying all over the floor. Like, oh, the mercy of God. And what will we do with him when he's saved and delivered from alcohol? Will we offer him a glass of wine? So if we really want to see God move, we separate ourselves. It says that he shall separate from wine and strong drink. There's 70, 70 occurrences in the Bible, 70 occurrences in the Bible that we're to abstain from strong drink, 70 He'll drink no vinegar of wine, no vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or drain. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels, even the husk. All the days of his fire he shall separate. There shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and shall be the locks of his and shall let the locks of his hair, hair of his head grow. In all the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall not come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother, for or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. And the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. The Bible says, Come out and be ye separate. For I am holy, saith the Lord, and be ye holy. No human instrument, when she said these words, there'll be no razor upon his head, what she's actually saying is, in this Nazarite vow, no human instrument is going to interfere with that which you give me. When the church begins to cry for a move of the Spirit of God and a revival, we got to know something very, very quickly, that there will be no revival. If we think for one moment that our hands can touch it, Any human instrument involved must be separated unto the Lord. I'm going to look at four times in the Old Testament where there was the manifestation or the abiding presence of God. One group of people lost it. A second group of people couldn't keep it. A third group of people grieved him. And the fourth knew how to handle the divine. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is a symbol of God's abiding presence. The abiding manifest presence of God. And how we need the manifest presence of Almighty God today. Would you say Amen? Amen. If you believe this, we need a manifestation of God's presence. We need a manifestation of God. Not just that we come together in His name, but we need a manifestation of everything of what that name means. He is salvation. He is our deliverer. He is our healer. We need a manifestation of His presence. It's not enough in word only, but we need the power and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. That's where we've come to. So if God today, by His grace and His mercy, not because any of us deserve it, was to rend the heavens and come down, and the manifest presence of God was to so fill this house beyond anything we could comprehend, beyond anything we've ever, ever known before in our lives, what would we do? I know the right answer is we'd all be on our faces, and I believe we would. We'd be prostrate before Him. We wouldn't be jumping around chairs and, and acting like dogs and barking and everything. We'd be on our faces. We'd be worshiping Him like the elders in heaven. We'd be crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hearts would be melted. Sinners won't sit in His presence comfortable. The shaking, the convicting, The reality, the awesome power of a holy God. What would you do? What would we do with such a manifestation of what we pray for? We're having a revival prayer meeting tomorrow night. We're praying for revival. What if? What if? Surely we're coming expecting that it's going to happen. Surely it's not just another Monday night. But surely we're coming to pray, God, this land needs a revival. So what happens when it comes? If you just turn over a couple of chapters in 1 Samuel. Samuel's now born. Serving the Lord in the temple. And I'm picking out the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament that is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The presence of the Lord with God's people in the Old Testament, that is, Israel. It was significant when the ark was was in its place or when the ark was with them in battle. They needed the manifest presence of God. Moses said, Lord, how can we go up? We can't go unless your presence goes with us. How much is done in the name of Christ in our lives or in our churches today without the Holy Ghost. Have you ever thought that? How we need the power of God. In chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, we're coming to the end of, you know, we looked at it in the first week. The whole period of the judges is about 350 years. Samuel is the last judge. The whole season of that cycle is about to come to an end. The judge before Samuel is Eli the high priest. He's 98 years old. He's a big guy. That's what the Bible says. He was large. We see here in chapter 4 that the Philistines come up, the battle, the enemy of God's people come up, and it goes on to tell us there, just in that verse first, The word of the Lord, the word of Samuel came to Israel. Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. Now what does Ebenezer mean? Hitherto the Lord's helped us. That's a good place to have a battle, isn't it? I mean if you're going to have a battle, you want to go to a place where it's Ebenezer God's done it before, he can do it again. That's where you want to pitch, isn't it? And that would seem right. That would seem like the right thing to do because we can trust Him. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we're talking about a people that lost, lost the ark, lost the presence of God. See, I'm not going to go into all the theological stuff today. friends. I'll just leave that for the theologians. But they did lose the ark. In verse 5, it says, when the ark of the covenant came into the camp. Now, this is what happened. In, in, in chapter 4, they pitched beside Ebenezer. and verse 2, it tells us 4,000. 4,000. 4,000 of Israel are slaughtered by the Philistines when they go to battle. There's something's wrong. Isn't something wrong? I mean, God's with them. God says, wherever you go, I'll be with you. Uh, Wherever you place your foot, I'm going to promise you, I'll fight your battles for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. 4,000 of them are defeated. So you would have to ask the question, is it okay to say, is there something wrong here? Is it okay to inquire? Something must be wrong. So verse 5, of course, it tells us then, I know what we'll do. We'll get the Ark of the Covenant. Because if the ark of the covenant's here, then we're going to win. Right? That all seems right, doesn't it? Verse 5, the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into all the camp. All Israel shouted with a great shout, and all the earth begins to ring out. Praise the Lord, the ark of the covenant's here. We're going to win now, Lord. You're on our side. It just didn't work out like that. In verse 5 it says, When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout. The earth rang again. The Philistines heard the noise of the shout. They said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the he- Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. Can I tell you something, friends, this morning? When God comes in revival power, I'm going to tell you, friends, that world's going to know it. Oh, that world's going to know it. Even the word know. The devils know. When God comes down, they're going to know it, friends. And so even the Philistines were aware and understood understood that God was amongst His people. But verse 10 says this. The Philistines get themselves together and say, listen, quit you like men. We're going to fight here. We're not going to just give in that easy. I'm going to tell your friends, the devil won't give in that easy. His time's short. He knows he's on the last run. He's going to throw everything at the church of Jesus Christ. Quit ye like men. We're going to fight this right to the very death. He's going to fight it, friends. That's the fight we're in. Then it says, verse 10, And the Philistines fought. Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli Hophne and Phinehas were slain. But hold on, we're at Ebenezer. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. We're out fighting against the enemy, and we're defeated. How can that be? 30,000 footmen are slaughtered. The two sons of Eli die in the battle. In 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13, I want to show you the cause of this. 1 Samuel 3.13 and this is the Eli the high priest who was overseeing a house that was filled with wickedness says for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he didn't restrain them and the glory of the Lord Ichabod has departed he knew there was sin he knew there was sin in that house, but he never dealt with it. He knew there was sin in that heart, but he never got that right. He knew, how oh, about they're my two wee boys and a great lad. Look at them, they're wee angels. They were the devil's disciples, but never dealt with them. I want to tell you, friend, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves comes a time in the day in which we are living. There comes a time God's so merciful to us. He's so long-suffering. He's so gracious. Isn't he? Have you experienced that from God? The mercy of God, the grace of God, the long-suffering of God. Then there comes a time God says, that's enough. So they go out there at Ebenezer. Wow, God's helped us. Now they're standing there. Get the Ark of the Covenant. It's all going to happen. We can put everything in place. Everything's ready. We're ready for the victory. The victory didn't come. Now the Philistines are walking away with the Ark of the Covenant. Friends, the first group of people lost it. They lost it. Now the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant, the second group of people. They couldn't keep it. I'll tell you why, friends. God is never going to use the world to glorify his name. No matter how fancy we get in the church today with all its worldliness, all its tactics, all its gadgets, all the big crowds. I know I'm like a bit of a voice in the wilderness. I'm not trying to be. But I want to tell you something. This book is old and it's tried and it's tested. And the old paths are well and truly trodden by the old saints of old. And I'm going to tell you, friends, God does not need the world to reach the world. Oh, but it's great. It feels good. It's magic. We really enjoy it. Friends, strange fire. So now the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. They boot the Ark. We remember the story before their idol, Dagon. It falls to the ground. The next morning they get up. There's the Ark of the Covenant. Their idol's falling flat. And it's, well, I don't know, maybe something just, somebody must have knocked them over. We'll get them back up again. They get them back up the second night. Then the next morning they come out. And God cuts his head off in his hands. See, nothing's going to stand in his presence. And so now they have a problem. It tells us, I'll not go through the whole story, I know time's going fast, but it tells us that the hand of the Lord was sore upon the Philistines. They could not keep the ark. In verse 11 it says that the hand of the Lord was heavy there. It says there, if you just read it, 1 Samuel 5 and 11, So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, It says, send away the ark of God. We can't keep the ark of God of Israel. We can't handle the presence of God. Light and darkness don't dwell together. Isn't that right? This is New Testament, by the way. Light and darkness can't dwell. What fellowship of light with darkness? Isn't that right? Isn't that New Testament? What fellowship of the children of light and the sons of Belial? Believers with unbelievers. That's New Testament, by the way. It's not Old Testament. It's in the Word. Send away the ark of God. Let it go to its own place, they said. That it slay us not on our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. And the hand of God was heavy there. And the men that died were not smitten. Were, not, were smitten with emeralds. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. There weren't a lot of pain. It was awful. Friends, we're going to see and we have seen a lot of false revivals, of false moves, a lot of commotion filled with worldliness. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the New Testament. We're going to see a lot of moves and so-called revivals coming from the emerging church and the whole rise. They'll sing for the Pope one day, I'm going be singing in Lisbon the next day. Sorry, I know it doesn't fit. It's not PC, but I'm not PC. And so now they send off the ark. Here's the second group that couldn't keep it. First group of people lost it. Second group of people couldn't keep it. The third group of people are the people of Beth Shemesh. We're just following the ark of the covenant. 1 Samuel chapter 6, and verse 13. Now, by the divine order of God, these cows with a new cart, even the world knew, get a new cart, make sacrifice. This is what the, the, the priests of the world were saying. This God needs sacrifice. Get a new cart. But this is what the world were saying. They knew how, what was required because people didn't seem to know. So now the cows are divinely Directed by God to the people of Beth Shemesh Judah, Judea. 1 Samuel 6.13 And they of Beth Shemesh. Let's look at this here. Here's a people then that grieved him. What were they doing? Well, they were reaping. They were in the wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and they saw the ark coming. And can you imagine? They're out doing the work. They're out plant. they're out bringing in the, bringing in the harvest, they're out, out on the street, they're out believing God, and suddenly they see the ark of the Lord coming, and it says they began to rejoice. Can you imagine? You know, you've been laboring and laboring and laboring, there's sweat, there's tears, you're, you're harvesting, you're trying to bring the, and suddenly now the ark of the covenant's coming, and they begin to rejoice. God's coming back! And the cart came into the field of Joshua a Beth and stood there and there was a great stone and they cleaved the wood of the cart and offered the kin a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites, look, here's now the, the order of God. It was right. The ministers took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with him were in the jewels of gold were, and they put them on a great stone and the men of Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices. the same day unto the Lord. Everything seems right, doesn't it? But we're right, we're believing for a harvest in these last days. And friends, I tell you, we should believe in a harvest. The laborers are few. We're longing for a harvest of precious souls. And they look up and they see the ark of the Lord. And they begin to rejoice. That's what's going to happen. That is what will happen when he comes. Verse 19. It says that he smote the men of Beth Shemesh. Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, even even he smote of the people 50,000, three score and ten men. The people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bethlehem said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? In the end, when they opened up, you see... I know Hollywood tried to make a movie out of this, but Numbers chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. That's what it says. You see, when it came, when the ark came, us remember the abiding presence, the manifest presence of God. They were in the field, they were working, but once it came, they wanted to handle it themselves. They wanted to know. They wanted it for. So they looked in. Something for me in this. Friends, are you not glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? I tell you, when I read this, I just go, thank God for mercy. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands a pure heart and not lifted up a soul on the vanity nor sworn deceit. He is going to receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. In 2 Timothy 2, 21, he speaks of a people that are purged, a vessel of honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Purged. Purged. Surely the church needs purged. By the grace of God and the mercy. Surely the church needs purged. Surely I need purged. Are you glad for the blood? Are you glad for the blood? Friends, see if it wasn't the blood this morning. Whatever you think, whatever's going through your mind, whatever way you think, if it wasn't for the blood, how many people know Jesus is here? This is the this is the book where we're gathered together in his name. With two or three, where is he? He's right here. Can I tell you something, friends? If there was the raw fullness, holiness of God here, without any in of blood, every one of us would be gone in a moment. Do you thank God for the blood? Thank God for the blood. The ark, of course, is the shadow or a type of Christ. It was wood. It was overlaid with gold. Speaking of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. The presence and the Shekinah glory rested. That there's mercy on that ark. There's a mercy seat. It fitted perfectly over the law. That brings us to Christ. That he has fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy it. He fulfilled it. And so when our trust and our faith is in Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, it means this morning I can come by the blood of the Lamb and not be smote. And so they looked in and God came down. The ark was a shadow or a type of Christ. They didn't know how to discern the presence of God. Didn't know how to handle it. They grieved him. Can I ask you a question this morning, friends? You might just say, well, do you know what, Tim? You know, I I, I do the ordinances. I, the ordinances being the breaking of bread. Well, we're here this morning. We're going to break bread. I've been baptized in water. I I just do what, you know, I do. I know I'm supposed to do that. So I do that. I break bread. I obviously give him a tithe and... Uh, you know, being water baptized and saved, and hey, that's it, isn't it? That's that's it. That's just really, that? really. If there's one thing that would really grieve the Holy Spirit, is that we do not discern the body of the Lord Jesus Christ if there's one thing that I can say as a pastor of a church, whatever people think, I want to tell you there's one thing that would grieve me more than anything else is the lack of discerning what this body is. That would grieve me more than anything else. Oh, it's just a place to go on Sunday. God, please help us. Oh, I just opened the lid on a Sunday, close it again, see you next week. really? Well, I don't need you. Really? You don't need me? I'm going to tell you, I need you. Can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Can it Can it happen? Emma, we don't need you. Just go. Really? Brent, just go. We don't need you. Tim, we don't need you. No, my God. They didn't know how to discern the body. This is the body of Jesus. Think about it. This is the body of Jesus Christ. What way do you look at it? Really? If there's one thing that I know within the depths of my being will be manifested in this last revival, it will be what a church really is the gathering of the people of God, the assembling of God's people together, the function of that body decently and in order, but the power of a living Christ filling us to the fullness and overflowing and every joint supplying. That's that's what he's coming for. That's what you're a part of. Lastly, the people Who knew how to handle the divine? 1 Samuel chapter 3. The men of Kirjath, Jerem, came. 1 Samuel 7 chapter 1. 1 Samuel 7 chapter 1. They fetched up the ark of the Lord. They brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill. Now look at this. See it. And they sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. What happened? We're going to have a man to look after this. We're going to sanctify him. Or a woman sanctify him. Came to pass while the ark of, ark abode in Kerjath Jerim that the time was long. For it was 20 years all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Samuel spake unto the house of Israel saying, If ye do turn unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods. You need to start putting some things away. Ask us from you, prepare your hearts, prepare, there's a preparation, prepare your hearts unto the Lord, serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines, says in verse 4 in the children of Israel, you see when there was a call for separation, when there was a call to put things right, when there was a call to get hearts right, when there was a call to get idols out, when there was a call, here's the key, they responded. They came and responded. It wasn't just that every week Samuel was just leaning over the pulpit, pleading and preaching and calling and preaching, and just week in and week out. That's a good message you hear. I can't remember what he preached last week. Don't know what happened three weeks ago, having a clue what's going on. People responded. Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. They gathered together Mizpah drew water, poured it out before the Lord. They fasted. They said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. Now here's the Philistines back. And When the children of Israel heard that they were afraid of the Philistines. Why? Because they're remembering the Ebenezer. The other time they went out and we got slaughtered. What's going to happen this time? The children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistine. Verse 9 is absolutely everything. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. What's it speaking of? It's speaking of the lamb the centrality of Christ and the cross and the sacrifice, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. They took the lamb. The lamb central. Well, we'll just have a good time. We'll not preach anymore about the cross. They used to do that. Like our father's done that. You know, we preach about sin. No, no, we've just got words of encouragement. And a great psychological gospel for you today. You're going to be wonderful. You're going to be great. Everything's going to work out fine. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them from them all. Everything's going to be okay. I want to tell you, friends. God's going to roar through those heavens very soon the church of Jesus Christ, those that are alive and living for him and serving him are going to go up to meet him in the sky. I want to tell you, friends, everything's not all right. If you're saved, it is. If you're not, you're in trouble. And so they took the lamb. And Samuel took the sucking lamb and offered it holy. And the Philistines drew near to battle this first hand against Israel. And the Lord thundered with a great thunder on the day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten. There's a way to handle the divine. No razor or human involvement. I'm going to close just in a few minutes. I have already reduced this for next week, so forgive me if it's too long, but I just want to finish it. There's a way to handle this. No razor is going to come on his head through the cross of Christ alone and the blood of the Lamb separated unto him. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. No razor, Lord, will touch his head. Delilah comes to the great champion, Samson. She's very cute. She's very much like the enemy. He was in the wrong place. He went to the wrong place, but she's cute. She begins to seduce him over a period of time. Where does your strength lie? Tell me about this. And so she presses him daily with her words and urged him and vexed his soul unto death that he told her all his heart and said, and friends, this is the compromise of our day. This is the compromise of the church of Jesus Christ. There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. But if I'm shaven, then know what's happening. My power's gone. I tell you, friends, we have sold it off to the world. We've given it all up. Give us an old-fashioned Pentecostal prayer meeting. Then all the razzmatazz of the day. Give us people on their knees and tears and crying out at an altar. Lord, intervene. Then all the stuff that we have today. We've everything. We've all the gimmicks. We've all the goings on. We've all the CDs. We've all the sermons. We've the YouTube. We've all the books. And we're bankrupt. Oh, our heads are well shaved. And the Philistines come, and he wakes out of his sleep, and he says, Well, I'm just going to do it like I've always done it. You know as how great John was Johnny yesterday we were talking about? You just can't get up and make it happen. We were talking about we need the anointing for everything, we can't rely on yesterday's anointing. Because we're talented and gifted, and we are, that doesn't mean we have the anointing. We need the anointing. The anointing comes on our knees in prayer and tears and separated and getting alone with God and saying, God, we need the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. When he gets up like other times and I'll go out, and he didn't even know that the Lord was gone. The Philistines took him. And this is what the devil will do. Listen. Just pokes out your eyes. Brings you down to Gaza. Bounds him with feathers. He's grinding. Oh, it's a grind I. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember you were rejoicing. Remember the day you were saved. I love hearing Emma. But she just gets to her feet and came in to say, God, thank you for saving me. I'm just so thankful I'm saved. Remember the days it was the joy of the Lord was your strength, the joy of His salvation. You were walking and leaping and praising God. Then you get into church for 30 years. God, what's happened? You've got your head shaved spiritually. Your power's gone. You're going through the motions, meetings after meetings, but no joy in your spirit. The Bible says in Judges 16, 22, Howbeit, thank God there's a howbeit. Howbeit, the hair of his head began to grow after he was shaven. I close with this How many agree in the day we're in, we need revival? How many people agree? You don't have to agree, but if you do agree, you can say amen. If you don't agree, please say nothing. We need revival. We want to see it. We wanna see God come. We want his power and his glory. We need revival. Could God trust you with revival? I know what the right answers are. Could he trust you with revival? What would you do with revival? And what would you do? God's asked me this question this week. What would you do with revival? What would you do? I'd launch a new ministry. I'm so thankful that God has not sent us a revival probably never thought you'd hear this from this pulpit but I am I would doubt that it would have lasted more than a night I believe they had been so grieved as there was a clamoring for perhaps the attention or it was my prayer Lord that brought it down it was me no, oh, no, no, it wasn't me. It must have been so like the disciples, aren't we? The great lack of spiritual humility. That's something that you probably need to look at. It's not a look in your face. It's not how you dress. It's a spiritual condition of a man or a woman's heart. It's a true submission, but we don't like that word. It's a true submission to one another, to Jesus. I fear such an outpouring would have almost been over before it started because so many seek revival for their own spiritual, I've got this from the Lord, their own spiritual superiority, and elevation, while such spiritual pride resides in the church, spiritual pride resides in the church today, it is biblically impossible to see a revival without a deep heart work of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. Revival is coming But many with such spiritual pride will miss what they claim that they've lived for. They'll miss what they claim they've lived for. Lord, whatever work is necessary in our hearts, Lord, would you do it? Would you do it? I don't know if this is only for me, and if it is, then I can tell you, friend, I thank God that He still speaks and I can still hear. But truly, if we want revival and we pray for revival, What would you do with it? What would you do with it? What would we do with revival?